to Breaking Bad News, Apron Food PR's podcast about food brands, recalls, withdrawals, alerts and issues, and the way they're treated in the press and on social media. Welcome to this edition of Breaking Bad News. I'm Jeff Hahn, and here, as always, with me, Jenny Gregorsik. Hey, Jenny. Oh, hey, Jeff. You want to talk about head cheese? Uh, um, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> okay. Uh, not re- well, um, I don't really know what it is. I mean, I think I've seen it, but I'm not that adventurous when it comes to stuff like that, so... Uh, okay, we're head cheese. You didn't really give me a chance to ask even how you're doing. So <laughs> I guess I better ask instead. Um, do you want to talk about head cheese? <laughs> Clearly I do. And yes, it is always, always good to see you. But we are today looking back at our July recall of the month. And there was one recall in particular that caught my eye and I just couldn't shake it. And it actually happened on July 30th. So it got right in under the wire for the month. Mm -hmm. But yeah, this is one I'm (laughs) so excited about. I just can't wait to dive right in here. Um, You want to know more about it? Okay. um, You you had me at head cheese. (laughs) Okay. This was a recall from JBS Food Canada ULC. Uh, They are based in Brooks, Alberta, Canada, and they recalled 38,406 pounds of boneless beef head meat products because they were not presented for import reinspection into the U.S. And it was a class one recall, so that's pretty exciting for me at least. Uh, You know, when you use the word exciting in class one recall, Jenny, I I worry about some of the things that you prioritize in life, but okay. That's fair. (laughs) But you've said several things here I need to unpack before we uh, jump all the way into this. First, um, you said head meat, uh, not head cheese, but you also said head cheese. So is there, what's the difference? Uh, that's first question. Second question then is not presented for import reinspection in the United States. That sounds like uh, somebody was running something illegal across the border. I mean, can you unpack those things for me? <laughs> I sure can. And now you know why this one caught my eye. There's yeah. so many questions swirling sure. around here. Um, you know, we have done just one episode where we talked about um, recalls regarding not presented for import reinspection into the U.S. We did another one a couple months ago, I think. But the head meat thing is just a bonus because uh, – yeah, there's, there's so much to talk about around this idea of head meat and head cheese. And I want to answer all of your questions. Well, I, <laughs> I have to admit, I didn't have any before you uh, started this, but I'm starting to get some. So, all right. Um, this will be a nice break from our usual Shiga toxin E. coli explorations. <laughs> uh, we talked about Shiga last month, which was, I thought was really cool. Same. Um, but we can come back to food poisoning next month. And I already know what I want to talk about for the August recall of the month. I've got it in my head and I'm going to just give you a hint in air quotes. Um, the food recall of the month for August will leave a bad taste in your mouth. 
and one's literal and uh, one way of thinking about it is figurative as well. So I'm just going to let you guess on that one. But I want you to go ahead and talk me through this not presented for import reinspection into the United States thing and um, uh, jump on in to head meet. Okay, let's do it. Uh, yeah, you've piqued my interest for August on uh, the literal one, leaving a bad taste in your mouth. I think I know where you're headed because that one's been uh, been pretty huge, but the figurative one, uh, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. So we'll talk about that next month. For now, let's take on head cheese and import presentation. Okay. All right, diving into this recall, like I mentioned, it was about 38,000 pounds of raw, frozen, boneless beef head meat products that were not presented for re-import, uh, I'm sorry, for import reinspection into the US. Uh, they were apparently processed by another company into the ground beef products. Um, but the, the head meat that was shipped was in these big 80 pound boxes that had eight 10-pound uh, chubs of, uh, you know, those big tube-like things. That you oh, they're the torpedo-shaped things, yes. Yep, exactly, yeah. yep. Um, it was Balter Meat Company, 7327 ground beef. So not very lean. Um, but these, <laughs> these, <laughs> these boxes, they were um, sent out to distribution centers in uh, Florida, Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and then uh, once they leave the DNCs, then they go to retail locations. Yeah, and we're not talking here in this particular case, the, uh, there's not a contamination to be discussed, right? No, no contamination. Uh, Re-import, re-inspection is largely a um, administrative function. Um, and so, yeah, no, no food safety issue, but we, we do know with this recall, it was because FSIS determined just through their routine surveillance that they always do that this was a product that had bypassed that import reinspection. Oh, so it somehow or another um, got through then FSIS, food safety. Inspection service. Inspection service, thank mm -hmm. you. Um, it got through their procedure or it got past their, the way they, they do things somehow or another. Yep. How's and, that happen? You know, it's, um, it's one of those things that we don't really talk a whole lot about, but there is a process, um, you know, where food goes through this um, import reinspection process and using the surveillance that FSIS has, if it's missed up front, then they can catch it again later. So I know whew, FSIS, uh, all of these acronyms that we're in, but um, I'll walk you through the, the process in a little bit more detail. So if there's an incoming shipment, um, something that's food product that's coming into the U.S., right. it has to meet um, U.S. CBB uh, Customs and Border Protection um, and also Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, um, which is APHIS, um, another acronym there. Right. It's got to meet both of the requirements of APHIS and uh, CBB. CBP. Um, so once it meets those requirements, then that shipment has to be reinspected again by FSIS at an improved import inspection facility. So tons and tons of oversight into um, the food supply that's coming into um, 
into our country from other places. So um, from there, then FSIS import inspectors, they check the documents to make sure that um, that shipment is certified by the originating country. And then from there, inspectors look at each shipment for um, you know, the general conditions of it, labeling, um, all of those things just to see does it look okay? And then they conduct what we call inspection assignments. And these um, port of entry reinspections are directed by, yet again, another acronym, the Public Health Information System, which is a, uh, it's a computerized database that stores all of the results from reinspections from all ports of entry for every country and every establishment. So it's all loaded into one really big gigantic database. Um, I think what's interesting to note here is that reinspection of products is really, it's performance-based in that um, better performing foreign establishments have their products reinspected less frequently. Um, and it makes sense, you know, many of the procedures for product reinspection that FSIS follows are all in um, this database import directives. Um, so what they do is they determine the type of reinspection based on how compliant um, the, really the compliance history of the establishment and the country of where the food is coming in from. Gotcha. And it's almost like a, you know, a trust rating. They have a, it is. Um, if it's this particular manufacturer or supplier, they have a five-star rating and, Therefore, we give them a lighter look or a heavier look. Exactly. Gotcha. Okay. And, you know, so much of it, I think we've talked about before, uh, on the import side is a patchwork of regulation because there's no global regulation in terms of food safety. So what comes in from China is going to be um, wildly different in terms of quality and regulation than Canada, for example. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, I think a trust barometer is a really good way to, to talk about it. Um, but then I'll keep, keep going through, through this process. So do you have any, you have any more acronyms you can share? Oh, I'm, I do. I have another one right here for you. Um, so types of inspections, which are, you guessed it, TOI, um, may be assigned by the database. Um, and it includes net weight checks of retail packages. Um, again, looking at the container's condition, um, looking for product defects, um, incubation period, especially for canned goods, um, laboratory analysis of the product's composition, its um, microbiological contamination, residues, species. There's a lot of things oh, that go boy. into this re, um, reinspection process. Um, and then they also do random sampling um, at ports for drug and chemical residues. So there's a lot of things that go into keeping imported food safe in our country. Um, and then of course there's an annual import residue plan that they, they set the initial sampling rate for each country based on the volume of product that they're exporting into the US. Um, and that's actually, the plan is called the blue book, um, different from your car blue book. Um, and you can't confuse it with the national residue data itself, which is called the red book. So lots of acronyms, lots of different, different colors of books happening here. But once all the products that pass reinspection are stamped with that USDA mark of inspection, they can come into the US for distribution 
um, and they are treated just as they would be if they were produced domestically. Um, but if imported meat or poultry don't meet those requirements, they get a big old stamp on them that says U.S. refused entry, and within 45 days, that product has to be exported um, back to its original country, destroyed, or converted into animal food if that is if the product is eligible for that. So let me see if I've got this right, Jenny. FSIS then turns to CBP, which then hands off to APHIS using PHIS and TOI, Blue Book, Red Book, USDA. Did I get it right? <laughs> you did. You cut all of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think what's important to know here is that it is a lengthy involved process because it's really important to keep imported food safe, um, just as safe as our domestic food supply. Well, yeah, I don't think we think about it enough or appreciate it enough, the layers of inspection that go into this. And it makes a lot of sense The from the innocent to the nefarious. I mean, it could be a contamination that's unknown to drug smuggling. So all these layers are intended to keep the food supply safe. And I guess we ought to take a moment to thank our inspection services and all of the stuff that they do to help us with that. Yeah, right on. The interesting thing though, I, I was trying to figure out as I was listening to you, I was tapping in the computer here and said, oh, okay, uh, this head meat thing, I see it in one place. I see it on USDA's website, but I don't see it on the FDA's website. So uh, when it comes to the FSIS, I guess they're not synchronized? They're not. Yeah, um, FDA and USDA really, um, it's a very much a separation between the two entities and USDA focuses on meat and poultry and FDA covers covers everything else so other stuff yeah mm -hmm, yep so so no uh no sharing there but um i did look back um fsis had looks like five recalls usda yep. recalls listed for july but fda had 34 um, but only about a dozen of those were food related i mean the fda's scope is so gigantic compared to USDA. Um, yeah, because they've got all the all the drug, all the pharmaceutical yeah, stuff. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Food is just a piece of of what they cover. Yeah, um, yeah. But I will say for it looks like for July with FDA, they had 34 recalls. Um, Ten of them, by the way, were for hand sanitizer because of the methanol contamination, um, which I actually had some of this hand sanitizer in my medicine cabinet. Um, so Everybody out there, be careful. Um, you know, keep doing what you're doing to beat COVID, but do check your hand sanitizer to make sure it doesn't contain any any methanol. Um, and Jeff, I know you enjoy, you know, drinking hand sanitizer for its alcohol. <laughs> that depends when you run out of beer, so you might stop doing that. Well, you know, like I always say, it's it's not just for breakfast anymore. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's funny. Feels All like right, it might be time for a break, huh? Yeah, let's take a break, um, and I do want to talk more about that, um, and I want to talk a little bit more about this head cheese, head meat recall, and the way JBS has um, talked about it and shown up here, because it was a JBS recall. So, a little bit of a puzzle here, if I'm honest, um, and I'll tell you what I know about head cheese as well. 
This episode of Breaking Bad News is sponsored by no one, because no brands want to be associated with this topic. And can you blame them? The team from Apron Food PR, however, is proud to step into the vacuum. You can learn more about Apron Food PR's brand protection and promotion work by visiting apronfoodpr.com. Welcome back to the second half of our Recall of the Month featuring June 2020 Recall. Jenny, the subject is head cheese. And we really didn't leave the audience guessing this time. You jumped right into it. And you're about to tell me, I expect, that uh, head meat, head cheese, it's going to be this amazing new culinary experience for all the foodie culture. We're, um, I've thought it was a bit of an outlier, but no, you're going to convince me that I'm the one who's on the margins here, that head cheese is actually in the mainstream now, correct? Well, we're certainly going to talk more about that, but just quick correction. This is actually July's recall of the month, not June. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. No one knows what day or month it is anymore. We're it's still 2020. <laughs> Let me start that over. Why don't we just start? Okay. Over? We'll start that over. That's fine. July. I have in the notes here, May. So I got, I got one. Day. I missed that too. <laughs> in three, two, one. Well, welcome back to the second half of our Recall of the Month. We are talking about July 2020, and Jenny, the subject is head cheese. We didn't leave the audience guessing this time. You you got right into it, and you know what? I was thinking while we are on break, I said, I bet Jenny's going to try to convince me that head cheese is like a new thing. It's like uh, any foodie uh, is into head cheese big time, and only Jeff, you're not very adventurous, so you don't even know about this, but you're going to tell me that, right? Well, I will first of all say, yes, I did jump right into this at the top of the episode because it's such a fun topic. I don't literally want to jump into it, um, <laughs> certainly, but I think the answer to your question is, is this the hot new thing? Maybe. Um, there is. There are pieces where um, of the culture, of our culture, where we're seeing it show up a little bit more and I'll talk more about that. But first, let's talk a little bit more um, about what head cheese is and shed some light on the subject because I think there's a lot of um, unknowns about it out there. So first of all, it's not a dairy cheese. It's a terrine or a meat jelly. Um, you can use head cheese and head meat interchangeably. They're synonymous. Um, but no matter what it's called, and we'll, and we'll talk about the fact that it is called a lot of things, it's slices or slabs of gelatinous pink meat that are made from the proteins that come from a head of a cow or a pig. Um, sometimes it could be a sheep or a goat. And it's really set in this um, savory meat jelly, which is in congealed stock. So it's cooked. It is cooked. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and those, you know, those who know about head meat and head cheese will tell you that it's the cheeks, the brains, the tongues of cows and pigs that are really some of the most tender and rich cuts of meat available. Uh, I mean, really you cannot get much more, more tender. And I think even for the most um, gastronomically adventurous diners, it's a, you know, head meat is a hard sell. Um, but I think it's interesting to think about now because the, 
contradiction of not eating that with sustainability, I think should be enough to convince anyone to try it because you can't really, you know, preach about the benefits of sustainable meat if you're going to neglect such a large and critical part of every animal. Right. You know, and the, the aversion that we might have here in the States to head cheese, really it's stands in contrast to the rest of the world where heads are treated as one of the most prized part of the animal. Um, I did a little bit of looking here. In Europe, it's called brawn or souse when it's pickled with vinegar. In Scotland, it's called putted heed or heed. So does that, did I do that well? I think oh. so. Potted heed. <laughs> and in Poland, it's called salsason or salkason. Austrians call it zult. And in Portugal, it's cabeza de zada. Um, the Koreans apparently love to eat it when drinking alcohol. So uh, if I'm going to try this, I'm going to Korea because I know the complimentary beverage that's going to come with it will uh, be right up my alley. Uh, and even in Japan, entire fine dining establishments are dedicated to serving. I'm going to get this wrong but it um, looks like it's pronounced kabutoyaki, kabutoyaki, or seasoned fish heads, which is a different kind of head uh, meat. And they're, they're served whole. I mean, the eyeballs are staring right up at you at the plate. And, and of course, in France, the lang de bouf, the cow, cook, cook cow tongue, is something that we've heard of before. In the Philippine culture, Filipinos, uh, a dish of sizzling pork known as sisig is made from pig head meat and liver that's brightened up with a splash of some juice <laughs> and hot chili pepper. I, don't, I can't pronounce half of these things. Even in Russia, when they're not interfering with the elections around the world, they eat uh, uka, otherwise known as fish head soup. So this, um, there's a lot of head meat action around the world. And in the U.S., if there is this aversion, um, it's different. I mean, it's uh, certainly not shared by other cultures. No, certainly not. And I will say that uka, the, um, that Russian fish head soup, a yeah. people think that it's just delicious, that it's like a, kind of like a velvety spiced ham. But, um, you know, I don't think that head meat is completely foreign in the U.S. Um, it's very popular in the Hispanic culture. Um, I lived in Mexico for a time when I was in college, and I remember being out one night with some friends, and we went to a taco stand, and they said, we'll order for you, um, and they brought over, brought over some tacos, and I ate them, and they were the most delicious thing I'd ever had. Um, so tender, and um, they told me what it, what it was, and it was um, lengua, it was tongue, and um, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember, probably beef cheek, maybe some neck. Yep. They were the best tacos I've ever had, um, and then another time when I was down there, we had some friends um, who had a family ranch about an hour outside of town, and it was her birthday, so we went out to the ranch for a weekend to camp, and they made barbacoa, which is... Um, a very traditional dish where you put the head of the cattle, the head of the cow into a pit in the ground, a fire pit, and you cook it overnight on very slow, low heat. Um, I'd never had it before, but when the next morning when it was ready, 
um, they pulled the head out by the horns and put it into a wheelbarrow and wheeled it over to us and served it right out of the wheelbarrow. And it was um, certainly different than I had ever seen before, um, but it was delicious. And, you know, barbacoa you find on all kinds of menus here in the U.S. It's 99.9% .9 of the places you get, it's just going to be shredded beef. It won't be actual head cheese um, or any kind of head meat. But um, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's a big part of the Hispanic culture and knowing that, you know, the Hispanic culture is such a huge part of the U.S., I, um, I think it's um, less foreign than we, than we might think. Yeah, I guess more people love it than I would have guessed, but you're right, barbacoa is, uh, it's uh, uh, almost, uh, you see it beside brisket now in every mm -hmm. barbecue joint that you go into. So very much uh, turning into a familiar U.S. dish, heavily influenced by our friends in Latin America. So, and, and to Jeff, just a real quick point on barbacoa, the, I believe the last authentic uh, barbacoa cooker in Texas for sure and I think in the US is at Vera's in South Texas and we actually went there um, with our beef loving Texans client uh, to shoot our TV show Barbequest um, so anybody that's interested check out the Rio Grande Valley episode of season two of Barbequest on Hulu and you can see um, what the process looks like of uh, making barbacoa we also did a video um, about, uh, or they did a video about um, how to make barbacoa the traditional authentic way. And it is so delicious. Mm, yeah, sounds good. I'm already hungry. They, um, the thing I am not hungry for, but I was overwhelmed by uh, is one of the things that we do here on recall of the month. Uh, we take a look at the breaking bad news. How did the news intersect this particular recall? And you, I, I just did some very preliminary scans and I got tired of clicking on the Google pages. They just kept going and going and going. This uh, very surprising to me got some coverage. Yeah. It's, it's kind of astonishing because it's really what seems to be a paper paperwork snafu. It's an administrative thing turned into four, almost 480 stories. Um, it looks like from my count, there was about um, 190 news stories 150 mentions on Twitter, 104 uh, blog mentions, 23 Facebook mentions, and then 13 others from other places. So it is, I mean, it's on par with other recalls that we've seen, um, but I wouldn't necessarily have guessed that given its subject matter. Um, so maybe it's possible that head cheese is actually, you know, way more popular than we even realize. Yeah, that we might who, have who knows? Maybe we're the, both the ones out of the loop here. <laughs> you know, though, what I found strange, um, for as much press as this recall got, not one word of it is mentioned on the JBS website. I looked under press releases. I looked under JBS Canada. JBS Canada doesn't even have a press room or press section. Walter Meat Company, which was uh, in the linkage of this particular recall, no press uh, room of any kind. Uh, there with a specialty grinder. Um, I have to wonder if JBS is really smart by trying to stay under the radar on this. If it's just a uniquely different kind of recall, they didn't feel like they needed to talk about, or this is a missed opportunity. I mean, 
I, I'm not sure. I'm just uh, sitting here thinking, well, where's your digital newsroom? Why haven't you talked about this given the number of mentions? Yeah, I, I completely see where you're coming from. And I think, um, you know, in my opinion, I think part of their positioning here is actually really stealthy. You know, JBS is an enormous meat producer. I mean, how about a digital newsroom posting or something? Yeah, you know, I absolutely get where you're coming from, Jeff. It's it's a head scratcher, but I think, you know, part of the positioning here is actually really stealthy. Um, JBS is obviously an enormous meat producer. Um, their sales at last check I could find were, uh, let's see, 50 billion in annual sales in 2017. Um, that's worldwide in the US, 27.8 billion. So just absolutely gigantic. And, you know, they of course are creating meat products for more than a dozen different brands. Um, there's Swift, uh, Pilgrims on the chicken side, Aspen Ridge. Uh, they've got a whole host of, of different brands. And uh, I think they've done a really nice job at separating themselves from the brands that you find in retail. Um, I think for a lot of consumers, when they think about JBS, they think about gigantic feedlots, meatpacking plants, especially in the last couple of months, because JBS has been um, so much in the spotlight with, you know, COVID issues and supply chain and things like that. Um, so I think they've done a really nice job of keeping JBS as this kind of big um, corporate brand name, um, whereas their actual brands within the portfolios that they have um, you know, built looks and feels and, um, you know, kind of an emotive connection with their, with their consumers. Those are the brands that you see in grocery. And those are the brands that people associate with house, household names. JBS is not a household name. Um, Pilgrims certainly is. And, you know, when I go to the grocery store every week, that's what I that's what I see. Um, so it's kind of nice for JBS that when there is a recall, um, they can punt it up to JBS, let that brand that doesn't have a ton of equity in it, take the, um, you know, take the heat for it, if you will, and then saves the, the brand names that consumers know. So I think it's actually, it's actually really, really smart. Um, and again, you know, we have to point out that this reinspection issue really is, it's a paperwork violation. It's still a class one recall, but it's largely administrative. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, it's like a Procter & Gamble branding model. You don't buy Procter & Gamble products exactly. uh, that you know of, but you do know Swiffers, Tide, Pampers, mm -hmm. et cetera. So uh, it makes some sense. That's a pretty cool strategy from a brand management standpoint. Mm -hmm. um, well, we'll have to keep our eye on uh, all of this category of head cheese going forward, more so than I thought. Um, it this conversation sort of made me miss our good friends, uh, Salmonella and E. coli, but <laughs> I promise we're going to get back to those. In fact, uh, yes, definitely. When we do August, we're going to be right back into food contamination. So uh, thank you. We've covered a lot of ground here. Awesome. Well, I think I'm going to make some head cheese tonight for my four-year-old and one-year-old and we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Okay. Yes. Uh, at the Gregorsic household, you are definitely 
gastronomically adventurous. I would like to think so. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, but um, first of all, thanks for not inviting me. Second, um, don't you think you want to try out some spam or something like that just to warm them up? I mean, uh, your three-year-old may not uh, be able to make the leap all at once. That's true. We could try spam. Spam's really having a moment right now during COVID. So maybe, yeah. maybe so. We'll start with that. I'll report back on our, our next podcast, how it goes. All right. Thank you, Jenny. Thanks, Jeff. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bad News. Subscribe and learn more at apronfoodpr.com. And if you like what you've heard, rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. It really helps. Mm-hmm.